Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but I had no idea where to go for answers. So with Running Explained, I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Allison Staples. Allison is a certified running coach, a global run ambassador for Under Armour Running, and the co-leader of the Baltimore-based run club Riot Squad Running. With a professional background as a physical therapist assistant, Allison caters to new runners and specializes in injury prevention. Allison, welcome to the show. I am very excited to have you here. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited as well. So I, before we dive into today's really exciting topic, I always want to hear my guest's origin story. I want to hear your running history, how you became a runner, and then how you became a running coach. Um, so I hated running at times. I still do. <laughs> um, I was not a runner at all. I was strictly an ellipticaler. I mean, I always went to the gym, but I primarily hung out in the elliptical, did a few like weighted machines. And that was the extent of my workout. Um, I would have people like, oh, we should run. No, thanks. That is not for me, for you, maybe for, for me. No. Um, so in 2007, I started working at the job I'm at now as a rehab tech um, assistant. So I work in spinal cord injury as a physical therapist assistant. I started working at my job in 2007 as a rehab tech. And there was a PT there that I really admired. And she ran all the time. She ran marathons. She did 100 mile bike rides. I'm like, oh, she is absolutely nuts. But I admire her. Um, So a few years after I started working there, we put together a team for the Baltimore running festival, we put together a charity team where we had some of our patients do it, a lot of our coworkers, a lot of our staff do it. Um, It was just a really good event. And my girlfriend, she was like, well, I think this would be a perfect opportunity for you to dive into running. I was like, fine, okay, I'll do a 5K. She was like, no, 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 I'm not spending 200 or whatever the charity fee, I'm not spending $200 to run around a block with you, which this is what she said. (laughs) Um, So she was like, we have to do the half. And I was like, okay, I don't know what a full is. So a half can't be that bad. So that's how I got introduced to running. Um, it was a half marathon. It was my first race. If you don't know what the whole thing is, a half isn't bad, right? That's how I thought about it. So that was my entry into the running field. Um, I think I did about three or four more halves before I took the bullet and did a full. And after my full, I completely bombed it. And I wanted to know why. So I went and got certified as a run coach, not because I wanted to coach anybody. I definitely did not want to coach anybody. I just wanted to learn more about the sport and the physiology and like, well, why did I bunk at like mile 12? You know, like all my training pacers are great. They're like sub 10 minute miles. And it took me almost seven hours to run this marathon. Why, like, what was the reason behind it? So I really took it just for educational um, purposes. But then once you become registered, your name gets entered into a database. And I had some people from the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, um, the Maryland chapter, reach out to me about coaching. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) This is not a part of the plan. I was not supposed to be a coach to anybody. It's just just giving me my information. Um, But it turned out to be a really good experience that has spiraled to where we are now. That's awesome. That's a fantastic story. I love that you became a coach because you're just curious about like your own performance. I know some people are like, I became a coach because I love working with other people. And I feel the same way. Like I, I became a coach and I increased my running knowledge. Cause like, I wanted to know how I could become a better right, runner. Right, right. And it was just like, <laughs> kind of like you said, snowballed from there. So that's awesome. So can I ask you, in, what was your postmortem on your first marathon? What, what went wrong in your training that you uh, didn't achieve on race day? I didn't, I wasn't running enough. Um, so I ran with a group of girls, a, a group of women, and they were all married and had kids and we had to wake up at like three o'clock in the morning to be out by three thirty four o'clock so that we could be done on long runs and they had time to go home and take care of the kids um i didn't have that problem because i don't i'm not married and i don't have children um so we would go out on these runs and i would just run with them i wasn't sticking to a training plan i would just run on the weekends maybe two or three miles on the week um and my mileage was super low i think that most i did was maybe 60 miles in the, um, the bulk of my training for, for the month. Yeah. 60 for the month. 
So of course I totally bombed <laughs> because I hadn't built up my endurance. And when I was talking to one of the instructors, I was telling him like, yeah, I just, I don't understand. Like I, I'm doing these runs and my training pace is this. And then I just completely fell apart. And he was like, well, you're just not running enough. And he said, like, you're not running enough. And you're not running slow enough. And then that concept didn't hit me until maybe two years later, maybe after I bombed the next two marathons. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe I should actually do what the people said to do. <laughs> yeah, the slowing down is what always gets people. Like you either learn it the hard way or like, you like there are very few people who I've who I've met who were like no I started running and from day one I honored my easy pace and I was always in my aerobic development zone like nobody does that everybody starts out and they run too fast all the time right. sometimes for years right until uh -huh. like they burn out or get injured or plateau and then they're like okay there has to be a different way and then they like their eyes become open to the benefits of keeping the majority of your runs in your easy effort zone and how important and why it's so important right yeah yeah absolutely. So with that being said, that's actually a good transition into our topic, our conversation today. We're going to talk about the rules of running or some of the rules of running and if they're always rules or if there are exceptions to these quote unquote rules. And this came about because I posted something like recently about how, oh, one of the rules of running is, and the rule was that you should always follow a hard day with an easy day. And it, it's, it, I probably could have worded it and said, you should almost always follow a hard day with an easy day. Cause there were some coaches who came in and they're like, well, not always. And I'm thinking, this is true. Not always you should, this is not a hundred percent of the time running rule. And Allison, you were one of the people who jumped in. We had a great conversation in the comments about why that you might want to break this rule. So that's the inspiration for this conversation today. So, um, Let's start with that, that quote unquote rule, the, you should always follow a hard day with an easy rule. Uh, is this a, a always rule or are there exceptions to it? And what are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, first I want to start off by saying when I, when you posted, I was like, oh, this is good. But I just read this study that said that it's not always a rule. Let me post this. Let me comment this on her post. She's probably going to unfollow and block me. <laughs> Um, but let me post it anyway. <laughs> so I was reading this, this uh, article or book, I can't remember which one it was, and it was saying that you should not, or not that you shouldn't, but there are sometimes exceptions to that rule. And one of those is that depending on the type of workout you do, you don't always need to necessarily follow a hard day with an easy day. So maybe one day you have a tempo run and the next day you're doing 800 meter or some shorter meter workout. Um, then that's certainly something that I think someone could fit into their training plan without risk of injury or without risk of overdoing it. Another really cool um, outlook on that is that when you are running faster, your neural responses are a lot different than they are when you're running slower. And you get a chance to build on that the next day versus taking a rest break and kind of letting your neural response calm down. So I thought that was a really cool um, way to look at it. And then additionally, those harder workouts, sometimes, you know, we get really sore two days afterwards, um, dumb set in. And if you do a hard workout the next day, you don't get a chance. Your body doesn't get a chance to get tired or it doesn't get a chance for that delayed onset muscle soreness. So you're leaving all that by just tackling on a, um, a hard workout the day after. And of course, I would say two days of hard workouts, of course, take a rest day or a easy day, but yeah. Yeah, this is definitely a rule that has some pretty like notable exceptions. And I think you're 100% right. And it all comes down to the specificity of training. Like, what is your training plan trying to get you to do on a physiological level? Because there are definitely situations where you'd want to do. I can't think of a situation where you would, and I'm sure there is one, of a situation where you'd want to do two of the same workouts back to back. I can see where you would stack, like you said, like a tempo and a speed work back to back. I don't, I can't think of any situations necessarily where you would do like two very similar workouts back to back, but there are definitely, like you said, situations depending on what you're training for uh, and the kind of training that you, your body can support where putting two hard days back to back would actually be beneficial for your training. You know, the stuff that I post on Running Explained, and it, I do want it to be a community for all runners, 
but I do have a lot of very new runners to the sport. And so, I mean, I feel like my advice always skews very conservative, right? Because I mean, for, especially for new runners who are going out there and running tempos five days a week, no, please, you should always follow one of your hard tempo days with an easy day. So for the general population, I feel like it's it's fairly good advice, but when you're getting down to the nitty gritty of the technical stuff of really trying to maximize your performance, yeah, there are some really cool ways you can break this rule. Yeah, I think therefore, um, and I love everything you post on your page, I think for newer runners um, or just maybe runners who are still having, are still building their base, absolutely follow in a hard day with the easy day. I mean, you give your, your body a chance to recover. Um, and if you do your hard workout the right way, your body won't let you do anything <laughs> other than an easy workout. <laughs> you know, in terms of listening to your body, like, yeah, if you really lay it all out there in your workout, um, yeah, you're not going to be able to do much uh, the next day anyway. So, <laughs> Okay, the next one, this is pretty cool. And it's the, the 10% rule. And I know this is bandied around a lot. So the 10% rule that we talk about in running is that you should never increase your distance from week to week by more than 10%. So if you're running like 25 miles a week, you shouldn't then the next week run 35 miles. You should increase only in 10% increments at a time. What are your thoughts on this rule? And are there any exceptions to it? I'm going to go conservative and say that this is should be a yes. Um, of course, there are exceptions if maybe you were out of town and just couldn't fit in you know, that 25 mile week, and now you have to jump to 35. As long as your body can handle it and you've been training at these mileage within that 10%, I think it's perfectly fine to maybe not hit a mileage goal one week and then ramp back up to where you were supposed to be the next week. Um, as far as anything else, really, I'm going to say no, just because so many people just get injured from doing too much too soon. And that 10% rule is a good thing to, to go by. Yeah, I feel like when it comes to this kind of stuff, people always like to think they are the exception to the rule. Like, well, I can do it and I won't get injured. Statistically, I am here to tell you that you will get injured. <laughs> you like, we are, we are not as durable and as special as we like to think that we are. I love what you said about in what your overall like recent training has looked like. If you've been, let's say, if you've been running 40 miles a week consistently for like five months, you could probably jump up a little bit faster to like that next level of mileage and somebody who has been actively working on increasing their mileage. It's like if you started at 20 miles and over the past, you know, you went four months, took you to go to 40 miles, you have a lot shakier base at 40 miles than somebody who's been running 40 miles a week for six months. The stronger that your current bases, I'd say the more leeway you have to kind of play with that. But again, not by much. And you still need to make sure that you're taking those down weeks every so often, that sort of thing. And the problem with that is that most of us normal runners or anybody period, we don't like to take, we don't understand the importance of recovery. We don't like to take rest days. We don't really like to do these easy runs. We want to go balls to the wall, pedal to the metal, all the time. So of course there are exceptions if you know how to properly recover and listen to your body, but I'm going to say that is not most runners. <laughs> yes. Learning how to recover properly is like most of what it longevity and running, I think really comes down to yeah. like, you can do whatever you want, as long as you know that you can recover from it. Like you can, mm -hmm. you can only yeah. train as hard as you can recover. So once you hit your uh, limit on your ability to recover from doing something, you've hit your ability your limit on your ability to train that hard, basically. Mm -hmm. I agree. So speaking of easy running, uh, the rule, and my gosh, if you follow me, you know this is kind of one of my like, like ultimate rules. The rule is that you should run most of your miles in your easy effort zone. What do you think? Always a rule? Agreed. 10,000%. <laughs> Um, and this just reminds me of that first marathon where most of my quote unquote training runs were 930, 940 minute mile paces. Um, and then I wonder why I couldn't sustain that for 26.2 miles because I'm great at 12, but 26.2 is just like, I don't know what happened. Um, so again, one of the things that they teach you right off the course and that took me a while to learn was that you just need to run longer and slower and build up your endurance. And building up your cardiovascular endurance is not something that's going to happen in two weeks. It's not going to be something that 
happens in six months. It takes years for people to be able to build up endurance. Um, and I, I followed, you know, after that, I followed a plan that had me running a lot more longer, a lot more slower runs. It has some speed work built in, but honestly, I didn't even do the speed work. And I shaved like 90 minutes off my time just from running more and running slower. So I can't stress to people enough how beneficial that is. Um, you know, speed work, interval work has its place, but until you've built that base, then you're just going to sputter out and it's really not going to make a difference at the end of the day. When you're working with your athletes, how do you define their easy running zone? Like, do you go by pace or heart rate or power or effort or what's your metric for that? I like to start people off by time um, because for me, your body doesn't know mileage. It doesn't know pace. It knows time and effort. So what I give to the people I'm just starting to work with is a rate of perceived exertion. This is how hard you feel like you are personally working. Um, and not all of my clients have GPS watches, not all of them run by heart rates. So I find that for them, sometimes if I tell you, hey, let's let's do a 60 minute run, run 20 minutes at like a two or three out of 10, maybe pick it up to a four or five for the next, I don't know, 30, and then drop it back down to whatever time is gonna equal back out to 60 minutes. It's a lot less stressful than saying, go out for a six mile run and gun it, figure it out. Because a lot of times when we look at mileage, we try to get it done in as short amount of time as possible, where the goal is really just to spend more time on our feet and to build more endurance. Um, so for the people I coach, I love to start off by time. I think time is a great way to kind of build up endurance. That's fantastic. I know a lot of people struggle with finding their true easy effort zone. And I love it. It's interesting that you also talk about going by time and um, by perceived effort. Cause another running coach I had on Tucker was talking about how he does that same thing. And it's interesting. And I, maybe this is just the way my brain works. And I, the athletes that I've worked with so far have also seemed to have their brains work this way, but I like going by heart rate, at least in the, getting people in the heart rate ballpark. Because for me, I know when I was a new runner, I was really good at lying to myself about what I thought felt easy. So like I, if I were your athlete, I would have been saying like, oh no, Allison, like I'm in my easy zone, but I definitely was in like five or six out of 10 when I should have been in one, two or three. So like the heart rate doesn't lie is basically like <laughs> what I'm trying to say. But at the end of the day, I think learning to run by effort, once you, once you know what that easy effort zone is supposed to feel like, being able to feel, find that by feel again is really, really important for runners to learn. Just running by feel and effort at any pace is a really great skill to have. I, um, I have a new watch. So now I love running by heart rate. When I had one that wasn't working, I hated it because sometimes it wouldn't pick up. It would be off. It would just be the worst. Um, but I was reading something. I think one of the, something I saw on Instagram that was just like, oh, this is really true is do your easy runs by heart rate and your training runs by pace. Yes. Um, yeah, no, and I, I get questions about that too. What heart rate should what should my heart rate be in when I'm doing, you know, my four hundred meter repeats, a five K pace? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> probably, but like you should do those by by pace. <laughs> There's no exactly. like five K heart rate zone. I mean, there technically is if you want to get really down in the weeds about it, but like ignore your heart rate when you're running fast. The whole point of fast running yeah. is to hit your pace goals. The whole point of easy running is to develop your aerobic system to support the endurance and do the, be able to do the cool things you want to do with really hard training later on. So I think effort um, goes a long way, effort-based training. What do you do? Because one of the huge roadblocks I know a lot of new runners have when it comes to staying in their easy zone is that they say, well, if I'm really in that really easy effort zone, I'm walking or I need to take walk breaks. What do you say to your athletes when they come to you with that? Take them, take them. <laughs> I love taking walk breaks. Um, I mean, Jeff Galloway has gotten millions of people to qualify for Boston. And it is, I'm not going to say it's annoying. I'm going to say it's really interesting to see, you know, you're running side by side with the runner and you're shuffling, breathing hard. You know, you can barely hold on. And there's someone right beside you who puts their hand up, you know, for two minutes and then puts it right back down. And they're on this walk, run, walk thing. And you're going toe to toe. And they're just like easy and it's fine and you're struggling it's just like oh why don't I do that but I think sometimes our ego tells us that it's not okay to walk but these walk breaks aren't long and if you're training right your walk breaks are a ratio of what you're running so that your heart rate is not getting down 
enough so that you're totally negating the benefits of this workout. So I was talking to one of my clients today. She was like, yeah, you know, I couldn't push through the whole 60 minute workout. I had to walk about 30 seconds here and like a minute here. I'm like, that's perfectly fine. You know, your heart rate did not drop that much in 30 seconds or even a minute um, that's going to negate the effects of the workout. So I think, especially in the summer or a change of seasons um, or anything that's going to tax the body a little bit more than normal, that walking is great and you should actually walk if your goal is to keep your heart rate in a certain a certain level. Yes. I mean, a hundred percent, all of that. I completely agree. And the, I agree the Galloway stuff. So for those of you who don't are listening and don't know, Jeff Galloway is an Olympian and he's made a very famous post Olympic career out of the Galloway run walk method of, of training. And it's not just a way of training. Like he has you race in these run walk intervals and like, depends on what your goals are, but there's always ratios of running and walking. And if you ever race, and so I used to live in central Florida and I used to do a lot of Disney races and I'm like 75% of the people at Disney races are at Galloway. So like every, these giant packed races and then like everybody's hands are just like flying into the air. Cause you raise your hand when you signal that you're going to walk so that people don't run into you when you're behind you. So, and I was just flabbergasted that it, it works, especially for people who are going up to new longer distances. Maybe they don't have the aerobic capacity to run the whole thing, you know, and like you said, there could be some pretty speedy people who follow the run walk method. I mean, it, it works, right? Does it matter how you got to the finish line? If you crossed it fast? Not at all. Um, and, but it also gives you a mental break and a muscular break of not the repetitive motion of pounding and running. And also it was like, all right, if I run four minutes, whew, I get a break for a minute. And it kind of forces you to, mentally, it pushes you harder in those four minutes than you would have if you would just, oh, I'm gonna go for a 20 minute run. This is gonna be a slog fest versus, I got four minutes and then I get the break. I got four minutes again and then I get a break. So I think mentally walking is great too for those um, long periods of, of time. So we didn't have this rule on the list, but you brought it up. So I think we should talk about this, mm -hmm. that uh, the rule that running more is better for your general development as a runner is so the rule. So if you run oh. more, it's better. <laughs> is this an always rule no. or are there exceptions? <laughs> there are exceptions and it takes, sometimes it takes people years to learn what their body does best in terms of mileage. My sweet spot is about 40 to 45 miles a week. And then it's going to take me longer to recover. Um, I think the most I've ever hit was maybe 55 miles. And I was out the next week. <laughs> I had to drastically scale it back. Um, but no, so I think sometimes we all get caught up on like these challenges or like, oh, I ran 300 miles this month. Oh, I only ran 50. And there is no shame in running whatever your body can tolerate at that point. Um, you know, if you're, if you're injured, you shouldn't feel sad that you only got in 25, 30 miles because that's what your body can do and you honored your body. Um, so no, there is no rule to a monthly mileage. I think the, the premise of the rule is that for people, like you said, when you were training for your Ferris marathon, you just weren't running enough, right? Like there yeah. is, if you have bigger, if you have goals for some people, like you cannot run a marathon on 15 miles a week. Like you just can't. So like in that case, yes, you need to run more for a lot of people. Yes. If they have these ambitious goals, especially at longer distances, running more generally will help. Like you said, there's always a limit and it's about finding your minimum effective dose of running, right? What works for some person might be too much for you. And what works for another person might be, you can handle more than that. And like, you need more. Mm -hmm. So no, I agree. I, uh, and I struggle with that too, because, it, you know, running can be such a numbers game and it's like, well, if a little is yeah. good, a more, more must be a whole lot better. And that's how people end up with burnout, overtraining syndrome, mm -hmm. you know, plateauing, crashing out in the middle of their races. They end up hating the sport because they're just running too much, which sounds kind of weird to say, like, is it possible to run too much? And yes, it is. It is possible. It takes a long time for your body to recover from overtraining. And I know it because in the borderline of that like two years ago it takes months to recover from overtraining um but yeah of course like if you're training for a marathon you won't make it on 15 miles a week i say a good base to even before you even get into a plan is 25 to 30 miles a week before you even jump into like a training plan um but yeah of course it just depends on what type of distance you're running and like the marathon is not the holy grail of races so if you're racing a 5k then of course it makes no sense at all 
to be putting up 200 mile months if you really want to race this 5k well <laughs> yeah no for sure yeah please don't think you need to run like 75 miles a week to race a 5k like it's a lot different training <laughs> and i think i think for shorter distances um the one thing that maybe some people don't realize is that you're running faster um you're doing these more faster based workouts and it, it's going to take you a little bit more time to recover than it is if you're just going out for an or longer easy run because you're taxing you know those those small switch those fast switch fibers which are a little bit smaller you know you're putting your body through more stress it's gonna take you a little bit longer to recover i me and my group we train for a a mile race and i don't use those muscles well at all i've just become used to like taking my time and seeing the route and let me tell you training for a mile race <laughs> like oh my god i'm so tired oh why am i so tired yeah, so it all depends on, on what it is you're training for and what you've built up. So that's a excellent segue into our next rule that you should always build your base before adding any speed work. What say you? Is this an always rule? Yes. I, I agree. I don't think that anybody can just, your first day of running, you're not going to go belt out mile repeats, 100 meters. Well, I mean, I think we all do to some point, like, oh, when we first start running, I'm going to run to this stoplight and then I'm going to walk. Or I'm going to, and that, I mean, that's speed work, honestly. Granted, you don't have the distance on the, on the track, but I think we all start off like that somewhere. Um, but it's good to like really build up an aerobic base that where you're not putting yourself at not only just muscular risk of injury, but also like cardiovascular. You're not overdoing your system too much. So I would say yes. Yeah, I agree with this too. And one of the things, that like the more that I run, the more that I realize when you have a strong base, you can do cooler stuff with your training. You know, when you're just trying to get through the distance, like you're reaching a new distance for the first time and you're like, I just want to run a half marathon or I just want to run a marathon. Your goal is to just get the distance in. And then if they say you want to do it again, but when you have a larger base to draw on, you can do race specific work, cool workouts, speed work you haven't done before. Like it, you get more opportunities to be more flexible with your training rather than just like, I literally only have the bandwidth to increase my mileage because that's my primary focus. Once you have the base of your endurance, you can go do some really cool stuff when you're training for these other races. Yeah. And now once you have your base, like you said, you, you get to do some cool stuff, but then you get excited about going back to those long, easy runs. You're like, Oh, I just did a really hard workout. I can't, you know, this workout was only six miles, but oh, I can't wait to run an easy 10 mile tomorrow. And what? No, I really cannot wait to run an easy 10 mile versus this six mile hell workout I just did. <laughs> hard running is hard on your body. So even though you might do less of it or you're, you should be doing a lot less of it during the week, and we talk about the 80-20 rule, uh, which is 80% yeah. easy running, 20% hard running in your training, that 20% hard running has a out an outsized impact on your body compared to the 80% easy running. So you're thinking like, well, I'm only running 20% hard. It's like, yeah, because it's hard. It's really demanding. <laughs> it's basically asking as much as the 80% easy mileages of your body. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I think having a, a good base um, to build off is great. And speed work and interval work has its place. And I don't think it's, it, I mean, all training plans, if you look at them, they all start off with, just base mileage. And then, you know, you don't get into your interval work until a month and a half in maybe, depending on how long the plan is. Yeah, that's a really good point. So speaking of training plans, talk about long runs. <laughs> this rule. All right. So this is a rule that I, I'm, I am going to preface this by saying, I know this rule has exceptions. So <laughs> what about the rule that your long runs should be done at your easy pace? I'm going to say no, that is not always a rule. It depends on what the goal of the workout is. So if you are, you know, training for a distance run, if you're practicing your half marathon pace or your goal marathon pace, then, you know, you can have a 10 mile easy run, but that long run, you kind of want to try to get some of that, that goal pacing somewhere along the route, um, just so you can gauge how well you're able to tolerate that. So I'm going to say no, that is not always a rule. And honestly, sometimes on training plans, it'll have long run and then it'll have easy run. So sometimes in certain plans, it is 
different. And then it goes to explain like how it is different. So I do get a lot of questions from people who say, especially people who are training for a marathon or a half marathon for the first time and saying, I assume I should be doing my long runs at my marathon pace. And it's like, no, like, no, I don't want you to go out and run the entirety of your long run at your goal marathon pace. Like that's no. Um, But yes, there are long run workouts that can include goal pace miles in the middle of the long run. So yeah, if you have 10 miles or 14 miles, like buried in the middle of the section will be a, a smaller segment of your goal pace miles. Or you can do like progression or fast finish or like there's a couple different, you know, ways to do your long run workout. And then depending on who, you know, kind of the philosophy that your coach ascribes to, or if you're following a training plan, your coach might give you specific paces that are your long run pace that are different from what your easy paces might look like. It's an usually long run should be done to your easy pace, (laughs) unless your training plan has a long run workout on your schedule. Yeah. The uh, training plan I used for my last two marathons had different paces for my long run versus my easy run. Was it, was it slower or, or faster? My long run was sl- uh, sorry faster than my easy run. So my long run, I think, was maybe 30, maybe 30, 40 seconds than my easy run um, pace. Relative to your marathon pace, was it was still slower than your marathon pace, right? Was, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the marathon pace is like, yeah. Marathon yeah, it pace, wasn't, so, use it with caution. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. So my marathon pace was like a 10, uh, like a 920 or something. And then my long run pace was maybe like a 10, 20, 11, uh, something, something like that. And then easy was like 1130 to 12, uh, something like that. But that was kind of where I was on the scale. But yes, all three paces and there's a place in the plan for all of the paces. And that's, and that's even if you have an easy pace, like if you're not running your easy runs by effort or heart rate or something else. So like, I mean, there are some plans and I know that I advise my athletes like you, there are a variety of ways you can find your easy. And one of them is by Mm -hmm. pace, but it's not like a, this is your easy pace relative to this pace or that pace. It's like, we, we have our race paces, we have our training paces, our lactate threshold, our VO2 max, our, you know, and then on like a completely separate page, we have our easy, like it's, it's like, it it is almost no correlation to the race paces that we're using in workouts and that sort of thing. And sometimes I like to freak my athletes out and tell them to like, just don't even turn on your watch for an easy run. Like, I'm pretty sure you've been running the same route for years. Like you have your four mile, five, eight mile, just like, cause you know, sometimes a lot of times, like we get in our heads about, oh, I'm not progressing well, or Susan ran this and I'm here. And then you know, we get into the cycle, but no, yeah, I love running watchless. I love telling my athletes to go run watchless. I think it's a great way to just free yourself and then just get back to just loving to run in general, because you're not in your head about, you're not beating yourself up about something. You're not trying to chase something. You're really just out to, to enjoy the moment. That's a really, really excellent point. I feel like we put so much pressure on ourselves. I've seen runners of all experience levels and all paces experience that self, that self-imposed pressure because of what they're trying to do, how they feel about whether their progress isn't happening as fast as they want it to. It, it, not every run is going to be roses. Like the important thing is just get some time on your feet, get some fresh air, get your legs moving. Like that's the whole point. Yeah, I've, I've had people take, you know, just a few days off from their watch. And then if, if mileage really matters that much to you in terms of like tracking it, then just go back in and, um, you know, you know what time you left the house, you know what time you came back or, you know, what time you looked at your watch when it started and don't try to play like mind tricks. Okay. Well, if I get to this certain point, but like, just enjoy the run. The other thing is for everybody, you know, your watch still works if you put it in your pocket during your run too. <laughs> it does. I've like, done that a million times. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll if you want to track it, but like, you know, just start your run and just put your watch in your pocket. It does. I've taken it off and I'll put it in my like little water bottle carrier thing. And then I'm now see, this is why I got away from the watch I was using because it was still reading my heart rate, even though it wasn't on my wrist, it was in my pouch and it still had a heart rate. I'm like, you know what? I'm just checking this. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. That's really tough too, because Running is such a mental sport, right? Like we think like, oh, it's just easy to go out and run. And I think anybody who's run more than once um, understands that it's a lot more than that. So 
it's important as we train and pursue our goals to also make sure that the relationship that we have with running is a positive one and not one that yes. causes us a lot of negative emotions. Yeah, I like to tell people all the time, like, you don't have to do this if you don't like it. You should actually like to run. You should honestly love it. It, it takes so much out of your time. Your whole day is structured by, I got to wake up at this time to go for a run and then I have to eat at this time. And, you know, you're, when you're in heavy in a training cycle, so much of your life is consumed by it that you should actually like it. Now, of course, there are going to be days where you're tired, you're stressed, you don't feel like it. But overall, you should enjoy running, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure even elite runners have days where they're just like, I really don't want to do this, you know? But yeah, yeah you're right. If you're going through a period, and that can also be a sign of, of overreaching or overtraining burnout. syndrome, yeah. like loss of motivation and burnout, which that's pretty serious, like you said before. Um, you know, if you're not enjoying it, that you don't have to do this. Like there are a million <laughs> hobbies. So if you're not enjoying running, it's okay to take a break, take time off, come back to it when you do feel like it's going to be you know beneficial to your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's nothing worse than somebody plowing through months and months of just mental exhaustion, just thinking that they have to do this. Um, and you don't, you don't at all. I feel like a lot of people get caught up in the, in the racing part, right? Where it's like, I have to, I have to race. Like racing is a part of what I do as a runner. And I, it's interesting. I wonder, and I'm just like wondering how this past year and change has been with not having a lot of races. There are so many new runners who've never raced before. Basically there are so many runners who haven't, ra I haven't raced since February of 2020 and like, I'm still running, you know, it has, it's almost made like my relationship with running better. And I care less about racing than I used to. How do you feel about racing now? I actually, um, <laughs> I'm like, do I really have to race again? <laughs> I'm actually enjoying, like, I'm still getting my mileage up. I'm still out having fun. I'm still doing really Hard workouts. It's kind of like I'm still almost in a training plan, but I'm not because I'm just like, oh, you know what? Today I feel like doing this workout, or today, you know, this is what my body can do, and I I love it. Um, so for me, this past year has been like, of course, I missed like the camaraderie of of race day, of you know, running with your friends or like water stop, cheer stations, like the whole race day experience. But I mean, race day is stressful. Training is stressful. So I think just like getting back to the basics of why we run especially with everything being shut down this has been a huge release for a lot of people and like you said there's so many new runners out i was reading i forgot what study uh maybe like on strava like nike run or something and it had stats on how many new runners there were and that the average pace of running had slowed down but that the amount of mileage that people were running had actually increased by a lot so people are out here you know doing those, I don't know if they're doing long, easy runs, but they're certainly running a lot more. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, it's like, you know, you isolate a bunch of people and you just need a pair of shoes, you know, and not yeah. even that, if you're a barefoot runner, you don't need any shoes at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> and actually that completely coincidentally, I think segues into another rule that we oh. can discuss, um, running shoes. So the mm -hmm. rule or the marketing spin, however you want to put it, the that you should replace your running shoes every 300 to 500 miles. I'm going to disagree and say that there's an exception dependent upon how much wear and tear you're putting on your shoes. So if you're only, you know, if you're doing really hard workouts and you're at 200, then, you know, it's time to get a new pair of shoes. So I did, I have these trail pair of shoes and I was really surprised by how much the tread had worn off in like a month of having them. Like, well, I'm not going to go out here and run on trails with no tread. Um, so yeah, it just really depends on the shoe in general, not how many miles you're putting in, but like, what does the shoe actually look like? Somebody asked that question. I haven't tracked miles on my shoes. How do I know when it's time to replace them? I'm like, well, flip them over. Like, are they bald? Like, then, yeah. <laughs> then it's time to get a new pair. Look at them the same way. Yeah. But yeah, it does, it does depend on the shoes and some brands are, can be more durable. Some models are going to be more durable than others. Um, I know that some models are going to be less durable than others. Looking at you, Nike, Alpha Fly, that only lasts for 75 <laughs> miles before the foam starts to break down. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it totally depends on the shoe. Yeah. It also depends too on what type of runner you are. So if you're finding that you're putting more weight on the outside of your feet or if you're more of a heel striker 
or you know wherever your weight is, is distributed when you run and where your foot hits the ground is really also going to depend on how often you should be replacing your shoes again so yeah you have to look at your shoes like the tires in your car you know when your tread is done you know it's not going to make it through the snowstorm and yet some of us still will try to you know push these little cars with no tread the snow do not do that with your feet <laughs> yeah so speaking of running injuries <laughs> so this i love that you brought up this rule never run if your pain at rest is three out of at a scale of 10 or greater and i'm gonna go ahead and 100 percent agree with this rule like wholeheartedly i i will also agree with this um you know, we like to glorify doing hard things. Oh, I just ran 20 miles and I had two hours of sleep. <laughs> or I just, you know, half my leg is falling off, but I just plowed through a really hard track workout. No, like stop, stop doing it. <laughs> we only have one body and pain is an indicator that there is something wrong that you need to pay attention to. And the longer you ignore it, the louder it's just going to scream at you. So you might as well take care of it now while it's at this three before it gets to the seven and then you need surgery and then it's like a whole big thing. So yes, learn to recover, learn to rest. I have plenty of friends who get injured from time to time and they take a month, six weeks off or whatever. And they do elliptical, they do the bike, they swim, they do other things to keep their endurance up and they come right back and pick up where they left off. So they didn't really lose any fitness at all. And sometimes they gained more. Um, so yes, listen to your body. You do not try to run on injury or um, yeah. Pain. And if this is um, if this is a prolonged chronic pain, then absolutely get in PT, figure out why you're having this reoccurring prolonged pain. If it's just acute, um, you know, a couple of days off might do it. But again, don't run. Yeah, I think and I think the key to what you said when your pain at rest is three out of ten. Yeah. So like if you are just sitting down or standing up at rest, not in motion, and you're experiencing a pain that is a three on a scale of one to ten. That's the sign that something, your body is telling you that something's wrong. Yeah. And honestly, I'd even say if you're out on a run and you're experiencing pain on a three. I mean, you know, we've all gone on runs where it's like, ooh, gee, I think I picked up a little knock. Yeah, it doesn't feel great, but it's minor. That's way different from, you know what? This is starting to affect my gait, the way I move. I'm wincing. I'm starting to limp. Those are all huge red flags. Just stop. Just stop and go home. <laughs> yeah. If you are limping... Do not go for a run. <laughs> like, don't even try. Don't even think about it. Yeah. I can tell you how many times, like, I've seen people come out to train. They'll limp to training runs. And, you know, sometimes they're like, oh, well, it feels better if I run. But at a certain point, you're going to have to stop running. And then the pain will be there again. And it'll be greater. And let's just be clear that the pain hasn't gone away. Your adrenaline has just kind of shut that down. So you don't really feel it as much, but it's still there. Yes. Yeah. That's a good point. There's a difference between like, oh, I I've warmed up this stiff area and now the, the discomfort, not pain, the discomfort has eased because my muscles are warm versus like, oh, my brain is just distracted by the fact that I'm running. So it can't pay attention to the fact that the pain's still there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You've just transferred the pain. You haven't actually taken care of it. <laughs> and I really, what you said before about pushing through the pain, I think it's really important. And I, I don't know if this is the way that we communicate as a running community, it's going to hurt at the end of the race and you have to push through, but we're not talking about physical injury pain. When we're talking about the pain you feel when you race, mm -hmm. it's like that lung searing muscles, burning pain, not the, I think I pulled a muscle or gee, my bone feels weird pain. Like those are drastically different kinds of pain that we're talking about. <laughs> okay. How about this one? the rule that you should never do anything new on race day, nothing new on race day. I have done many a new thing on race day. <laughs> I've worn new shoes. Uh, my first half, I wore new shoes on race day. Um, I tried new goals on race day. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times we train on stuff different than what we race with because we're so used to carrying these handhelds and, and backpacks or whatever with our favorite you know, Google or whatever. Um, and then for race, they were like, you know, I just, I don't want to run with anything. I want to run hands-free. A lot of times races have um, restrictions on what you can carry. So we've automatically gone from running with, I don't know, let's just say I love tailwind. So 
golf running tailwind so now i just have to drink gatorade because i didn't bring my tailwind um and you'll find that your body responds different to things that you do on different on race day and maybe you won't tolerate it maybe those new shoes that you brought to look pretty in the pictures they're not really fitting your feet so well <laughs> um so i'm going to say no unless maybe if you brought a new shoe and it is the same exact model of what you brought before but even still you haven't broken them in so i don't know i'm gonna say it depends yeah, I would never plan to do anything new on race day. It's something I talk with my athletes about. We always make we make race day plans, right? Like really detailed race day plans. What are you going to wear? What are you going to eat? What flavor is it? When are you going to take it? What do you eat for breakfast? When do you get it starting line? All these plans. And you the, the plans really help calm the anxiety because as much as you think you have your nerves under control, I guarantee you on race day, there's going to be a moment where you freak out just a little bit and you're like, should I do this instead? What about this? How should I just, what if I did this instead? And it's like, no, when you have a plan to fall back on, it really helps you not make those rash decisions in the moment <laughs> that can cause like really serious problems later on. Yeah, that's true. Just from even like a mental aspect, like you said, of just calming down the nerves because I mean, how many of us can't sleep the night before race? So how many of us even have like phantom pain you know i've been fine the whole training cycle and now you know two weeks before my or two days before my race oh i think my foot's gonna fall off <laughs> but it's a real thing um you know nothing's wrong you just you're so anxious and so wound up that your body is now interpreting that you know it's, it's all haywire so i think yeah from um from a mental standpoint absolutely practice even like down to what you're gonna wear like you said like sports bras chafe and you don't know that until you run in them so absolutely plan everything down as much as you can. Yeah. The clothing stuff really makes a difference because there's nothing worse than chafing when you have everything else to deal with at the end of a long race yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and then even for like nutrition, when you're doing a race, the race guide will tell you what is being offered on the course. So that way it gives you a chance to go out and buy it and practice with it. Or maybe you don't want to use that. Maybe you want to use your own thing. Well, you kind of have to practice like how are you going to store this? If it's a powder, like what, where are you going to get the water from? Like you kind of have to plan these things out. So absolutely plan out your race day as much as possible. And they'll tell you where the stops are, what's being offered mm -hmm. at it. Is that, you know, do they alternate Gatorade endurance and water? Is it, do they have bananas every five miles? Like they'll just, they have all that information available. And then even sometimes, um, I know for me, I like to take walk breaks. I like to walk through the water water stops. It just gives me a chance to like slow down, get myself together. And I know that the water stops typically are about two miles, maybe two and a half. Um, or it just depends on like what race you're doing. So again, you can look up all that race information. And then when you're out on a run, you can practice how are you going to go through that water stop? Are you going to take a sip here? Or like, this is the perfect time to figure out when the nutrition is going to be best for you during that training run. And this is all part of that race day plan, because if you have planned to stop at a water stop, stop yeah. it on it. Like, even if you don't feel like you need to in that moment, stick to your plan, stop at that water stop, do get what you need to get, do what you need to do. Um, I was talking about this with somebody else, but it, about when you feeling good early in the race and going out too fast, mm. you should feel good early in the race. You should feel awesome at mile five of a marathon. Yeah. Like that's not what we're worried about. It's not mile five that we're worried about. Yeah. And um, on those trainer runs, you know, sometimes we, we, we don't, I don't know why we, sometimes we don't like to take any, we don't like to drink water, but when you're racing, you're going to be racing faster than, you know, what your training run is. So your nutrition, you're going to have to dial it up and you won't know that. Um, unless you practice when it is that you're going to need it. Even if on these training runs, you don't feel like you necessarily need it on race day, you absolutely will. Because if you're ML, you know, whatever, and you're already feeling dehydrated, you're already cramped, you have missed the mark. And it's so hard to recover after that, if you even are able to recover. Oh, right. Our last rule. This is a good one. Cool. Very, I know, my goodness. Our last rule, I'm sure there are a million more rules we could debate, but <clears throat> this is about cadence. And it's about the rule that we, uh, the number of 180 steps per minute is the magic cadence number. What do you have oh. to say about this rule? I'm going to say no, 180 is not the magic number for cadence. However, I will say 
um, that there is greater risk of injury if your cadence is too low, because it probably means that you're overstriding, which puts you at risk for more injury. So I know for the longest time, I was in the 155, 162 range. I was reading up on this, and a lot of new runners, their cadence is a lot, um, a lot lower than other experienced runners. And I couldn't feel, I couldn't figure out why my friends were like their feet were just turning over so much faster than mine was. And the effort that I was exerting to reach these paces was just so much harder. It's like completely overstride um, to get to where I wanted to go. And I noticed that when I started paying attention to my cadence, when I tried to get it up, when I started using a metronome or like when I put in 180 beats per minute in Spotify, that the runs became less effort. Um, I felt like my, my feet were under me. So I was able to get those paces that I wanted to get and it came just so much easier. Um, yeah, and then you, of course you put yourself at less risk for injury if your feet are under you. So I'm gonna say no, 180 is not the golden rule, but you should find a cadence that works for you. And I don't think that 155, 160 is optimal for most people. I mean, I have friends that that race in like 220s. So I don't even understand how their feet go that fast, um, but no. Yeah, this is definitely a, a range is 180 the magic cadence for every single person no obviously not there is a, definitely such a thing as having a cadence that's too low honestly i think anything below 170 like you'd really have to convince me that you're not overstriding for me to be okay with that yeah there are some people who who race really well who are really strong runners and their cadence is only maybe 165 but they're also really tall yes and they also have really long legs so for them, it's a little bit more awkward to try to turn their feet over a little bit faster um, just because they're so used. I mean, they have the, the length in their legs and the biomechanically, um, you know, they might not ever be able to reach 220. <laughs> yeah, no, that's 100% correct. I like to say that 180 is a good general target, but it's not like the be all end all. Awesome. This has been fantastic. I, have, I absolutely love this conversation. So where can people find you? I know that we found each other on Instagram. We did. And that is, that is my hangout spot. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's Allie underscore zero underscore little O underscore ones <laughs> uh, on Instagram. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, but I don't really hang out there. So Instagram is probably the best way to find me. And I'll link to your account in the show notes and people can find you very easily. And are you currently taking any coaching clients? I'm just trying to get get where he's coaching uh, bandwidth is these days. I am. I do have slots for about three people. Um, if you got three people that need some coaching services, I'd be more than happy to chit chat. Awesome. I always like to put that out there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was an absolute blast. Thanks for having me on. This is super fun. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at Running Explained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. Until next time, happy running! This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.